Merry-Go-Round Storytelling presents Test Valley Tales with Amanda Kane Smith. Hello, I'm Amanda. Welcome to the Test Valley Tales podcast. This podcast features the stories from my illustrated book called Test Valley Tales. Each week, I'll be telling a traditional story based in a real location in the beautiful borough of Tess Valley, which, if you're not from round here, is in Hampshire, in England, in the UK. All the stories are different, but they are all magical in one way or another. So whether you're curious about strange-looking dragons or magical wish-giving fish, enchanted trees or even spooky ghost legends, I'm sure there'll be a tale here for everyone. And if you're listening locally, I hope you may want to go out and explore the place the story is set and maybe see if you can find some of the things I refer to there. I can't promise you'll meet any of the magical creatures, but... If you do come across any, please say hello from me. Well, I think it's time to get on with this week's tale. So, make yourselves comfortable and I will set the scene. This week's tale is a local ghost legend and it is called The Ghost Vicar of Vernon Dean. our journey through the stories and places of Test Valley at the very top of the borough, where the chalk rivers of the Test meet the wild downlands of Wiltshire. And nestling on this border is the beautiful village of Vernum Dean, surrounded by scenic paths and bustling with enthusiastic walkers when the sun comes out. I love to explore these paths looking for fairies in the bluebell woods in spring, or distant giants striding across the hills in winter. And sometimes I like to wander up the path that takes you from the back of the playground, across the farmer's field, through the tunnel of trees, and up to the old church that sits on the hill at the edge of the village. It's a small stone building with a single bell at the top and I wonder what this bell sounds like. It looks like its ring would be loud and assured as it summons the parishioners to the services and ceremonies that take place within its stone walls. All is quiet as I stand under one of the huge yew trees in the graveyard and imagine how it must have been all those hundreds of years ago when the vicar had the world on his shoulders and a big decision to make. A pocket full of poses A tissue, a tissue We all fall down At first, 
nobody understood why people were beginning to fall down in the village. When they did understand, nobody could know for sure how it had arrived. Maybe it had come from one of the many merchants who stopped for a drink at the inn. Or maybe it was from the cloth which had been ordered to make new curtains for the manor house. Or maybe it was from the stray cat that had been spotted on the corner of Bullpit's Hill. However it had arrived, plague had come to Vernon Dean. It was 1665, and the summer had been long and hot, and now, as it was heading into autumn, people were beginning to get sick and die. Everybody had heard about the plague in London and how it had ravaged its way through the city, but everyone knew that that was because the city was a dirty, disgusting place where people lived squashed together side by side. But here, in the countryside, the air was fresh and clean. No one had expected it, and everyone was stunned and scared. A meeting was held, and a decision was made. Anyone who was ill would go to the top of Connaught Hill and make a camp. There they would wait to accept their fate for good or bad. It had also been arranged that the vicar would take up supplies of food, herbs and medicines every day in the hope that some of the villagers would get better and, if not, would be made more comfortable until the time of their death. The vicar was a gentle sort of fellow and had taken up his position in Vernon Dean straight from university. Being the youngest son of a local well-to-do family, it had always been expected that he would go into the clergy, as was the tradition in those days, and he dutifully followed that path with no complaint. It was the same the night of the meeting, when no one had volunteered to take the supplies up to the camp, and the room had been filled with apprehension and fear. The vicar felt duty-bound to put himself forward to take on the task. And so he did. As vicar to this parish, he declared, his voice breaking through the noise of the petty quarrels and protestations that had erupted in the meeting room, it is my responsibility to look after the well-being of the camp on the hill. Bring supplies to the church and I will gladly take them there. The room fell silent with relief. Everyone thought the vicar was very brave. When it was time for the sick villagers to leave, there were lots of tears, but few hugs. No one wanted to catch it. And the infected villagers soulfully walked away up the hill. Each carried a bundle of bedding, some food, and anything else they could hold to make their new place of rest a little more comfortable. That night, Everyone in the village prayed for their friends and thanked the vicar for his kindness and bravery. Now, the vicar was indeed a kind man in his heart, but unfortunately he was not as brave as everyone supposed. The next day, 
As agreed, he filled two large baskets with the nourishing foods and medicinal herbs that had been left at the church. The villagers donated all kinds of treats for their friends, from soups, pies and ales for a hearty meal, to cure-rolls like onions, vinegar and sweet-smelling spices. The vicar squeezed all that he could into the baskets and began to stride his way along the path which would take him down into the village. Children waved and villagers took off their hats in respect as he strode past and they watched him as he quietly left the village to begin the long walk up Connaught Hill. The vicar felt a joyous nervousness as he turned into the hill and began to stride up it as if butterflies were tickling the inside of his stomach. But then, about halfway up the hill, his stride began to slow. Soon it became a trudge, then his trudge became a shuffle, and his shuffle became a stop. The vicar's feet had become so heavy they were impossible to move, and he found himself completely overtaken with fear. His whole body felt flushed with heat, then he felt cold, then hot again. His heart raced rapidly, and it seemed as if he could not breathe, and even though his mouth felt dry as a bone, he began to sweat and shake. Oh dear, oh dear, oh dear, he cried. What should I do? You see, the vicar loved his little life in the village, and he did not want to die. Well, not yet, anyway. He was hoping to get married and have children some day, and he knew visiting the plague victims was dangerous. Suddenly, he did not feel so brave after all. But what should he do? Too paralysed with fear to go forward, and too ashamed of his fear to go back, his mind began to race, trying to come to terms with what he had agreed to do. Then he had an idea. I know, he thought. I could hide the food. It will not matter to the camp if they're not fed for one day, and the villagers back at home will not know any different. He knew it was a shameful idea, but he could see no other choice. All he needed now was somewhere to hide the food. He looked round and could see that the field sloped down to the right of the road, so he went to have a look. The grass was overgrown and the ground uneven. The vicar began to walk awkwardly. He lost his footing and found himself tripping and falling into a hollow. It was narrow like a ditch, but it was deep. This is perfect, he whispered. Now all I need is something to cover it with. He looked back up to the road and saw a large rock. Leaving the baskets by the hollow, he went to see if he could move it. It was a jagged old thing and took a few heaves to get going, but once on the slope it rolled easily as the vicar pushed it slowly towards the hollow. He carefully took the provisions out of the baskets, put them in the hollow and rolled the large rock over the top to cover them. One day's hunger will not matter, he told himself. 
I will be braver tomorrow. Then he sat on the rock and waited. He did not want to return to the village just yet. People may become suspicious if he returned too quickly. As he sat there, lost in his own thoughts, he casually picked a stem of yarrow. He looked at its wispy, feathery leaves and the cluster of tiny white flowers at the top. Then, touching the flowers to the end of his nose, he breathed in its faint, sweet, herby smell, which always made him feel calm. Suddenly, a thought sprang into his mind. Posies! he said out loud to the warm evening air. He had remembered that in London they would use a posy of flowers or herbs to counter the evil smells of the plague and protect them from becoming infected. I can make myself one of those tomorrow, he thought. Filled with a new-found confidence, he waited on his rock until just before sunset. Then he jumped off, lifted his empty baskets, and walked back down towards the village. He did not tell a soul of how his courage had failed him. The next day, just before leaving to make his way to the camp, he cut a few sprigs of mint, rosemary, lavender, carnation and feverfew from his garden, bound them together to make a small posy, then attached it to a long piece of string and tied it around his neck like a wonderful smelling necklace. Then he picked up his baskets and set off with a new surge of belief in himself. He strode along the road, which took him out of the village and turned left to begin the long walk up Connaught Hill. About halfway up the hill, however, just as the day before, his stride soon became a trudge, his trudge became a shuffle and his shuffle became a stop. His fear had overtaken him again and, try as he might, he could not make himself go any further. Standing there, all alone on the hill, the vicar once again found himself in the same awful dilemma as before. Then he had a thought. Everyone took food with them when they left, he remembered. I would imagine they still have plenty and will not need this after all. He looked at the baskets, which were laden with food, and, not wanting to disappoint anyone that their efforts had been for nothing, he hid it in the hollow with the provisions from the day before. He covered them with the large rock and returned to the village without saying a word. And so it went on. Day after day, the vicar would collect the provisions, take the long journey up the hill intending to go into the camp, but each day he would find himself unable to do so. No matter how hard he tried, he would always find a new reason not to go. After a week, his hollow was almost full and had begun to attract vermin, including rats. The vicar had to think of other ways to hide the provisions. So he began wearing a big coat and hiding things in his pockets and squirrelling them away in cupboards around his house. Sometimes he would skip his supper and just eat the food meant for the camp. He took no pride in himself. 
It was a miserable existence, sitting there on his rock, eating the provisions meant for the camp while shooing away rats. But he could not see any way out. He felt too ashamed. Three weeks passed and another meeting was held. The villagers were besides themselves with worry for their friends and family and wondered whether enough time had passed for any survivors to return to the village. Someone would need to go and discuss it with the camp. Leave it to me, the vicar said. He knew he would have to be the one to go so no one found out about his terrible secret. The next morning he woke and got dressed for the day and... As he did so, he noticed some flea bites on his ankles and wrists. Fleas were a common problem in those days, so he gave it no thought and went downstairs. He was feeling unwell and was aching from all the walking, he supposed, and hoped the walk up the hill would clear his head. Today is the day, he thought, that I shall be brave. He went out into his garden and collected his usual herbs and flowers to make the posy he would hang around his neck. Then, as an extra precaution, he swallowed a glass of vinegar. Vinegar, he knew, was good for all sorts of ailments, and he had read somewhere that it was also a remedy against the plague. Better to be safe than sorry, he said, as he drank the vinegar. He shuddered as its fumes escaped burning their way up his nose and making his eyes water. Oh, <laughs> oh dearie me, he winced. But if it will protect me, then it is worth it. <laughs> he then collected the two full baskets from the church and set off towards the village, determined to finally fulfil his promise. It was quieter that day as he walked through the village, but the vicar did not mind. In fact, he preferred it like this. The sun was high in the sky and had scorched away all the chill of the morning and by the time he reached the turning into Connaught Hill, he could feel its heat burning through the top of his hat onto his head. It made him feel feverish, but he was determined to keep going. Soon, however, just like before, his stride became a trudge, his trudge became a shuffle, and his shuffle became a stop. He slowly looked to his right, and even though he couldn't see it, he knew he had reached the hollow. He wanted to sit down, he needed to sit down. He left the road and walked towards it. Now he could see the rock. He stared at it, with its grey, uneven angles jutting out at all sides, and, as he did, it seemed like the rock was looking back at him. It was like a hideous gargoyle on top of a church roof, except this gargoyle was not on top of a church. It was crouching on top of his hollow that was filled with the rotting food and medicines all the things he had promised to take to the camp. He glanced back at the road he had just climbed. Going down would be easier, 
but he wanted to climb. He wanted to fulfill his promise. He took a deep breath and began to shuffle his feet forwards. He made it back to the road, then began to trudge, and suddenly he found he was striding. He pushed himself forwards, and by the time he reached the camp, he felt terrible and elated in equal measures. He put down his baskets, lifted his posy of herbs and flowers to his nose, and slowly edged forwards towards the camp. Hello! I'm here to help! I have bought food! he said triumphantly. There was no answer. Leaving the baskets, he continued to edge forward. Hello, dear friends! It is me, your vicar. His voice had now lost its triumphant tone and was filled instead with apprehension. Where was everyone? He stood there in silence and became aware of the sounds around him. Sounds of nature, the grass blowing in the wind, the sweet song of a little willow warbler nestling close by but no human sounds at all. He edged forwards one last time and entered the camp. What he saw next was a terrible scene. His friends were all there, but the camp was eerily still. In fact, had it not been the middle of the morning, he could have mistaken them for being asleep on the ground. The truth was, while he had been wrestling with his fear and shame, the poor people at the top of Connaught Hill had run out of food and water. They had become weaker and weaker and, with no nourishment to help them fight the infection, they had all died. He looked around at the people he once called his friends and cried out loud, My foolish pride is the cause of this. Now everyone is dead because of me. He closed his eyes. If only I had been brave enough to tell someone of my fear. Maybe, just maybe, they could have helped me. The vicar fell to his knees and began to weep. He was a sorrowful sight, sat with his head bowed, tears falling into his lap. He brought his arm up to wipe his eyes on his sleeve and... As he did so, he noticed a black blister on his wrist, where the flea bite had been. Around it blushed a rosy red rash. He gasped. Thinking the worst, he felt under his armpits for lumps, the tell-tale signs of the plague. And sure enough, there they were. What have I done? he cried. All this time I could have been helping these people. My fear has been in vain, and now I am to die anyway. There he stayed, all alone on that hill. In the camp, he had been too frightened to go near. Burying his friends with respect was the least he could do, and not long after he said his final prayer for them, he died. And it is said, 
his grief and guilt has kept him there ever since. His ghost now haunts Connaught Hill and can be seen to this day. A hunched, sad-looking soul seeking forgiveness as it trudges along. He walks up the hill with his baskets laden with food. But just as in life, he never quite makes it to the camp. His ghostly figure like a shadow when a cloud passes over the sun always fades from view just before he reaches the top. was a spooky tale. Did you know that the nursery rhyme Ring of Roses may have a dark side, as some historians think it is about the plague? A pocket full of posies seems to have a particular link. You see, medicine wasn't very good back then, and people actually believed that you got the plague by evil heirs, as they called them. And so, they would hold sweet-smelling flowers over their noses. Even the doctors did this and wore extraordinary outfits, including a mask which made them look like birds with herbs and flowers stuffed in the beak. There are also some weird and wonderful ways to treat the plague. Are you ready for a quick quiz? Okay. See if you can guess which of the following things was not used as a cure for the plague. Was it A. Eating five-year-old treacle B. Shaving a chicken's bottom, then strapping it to your lumps until it or you dies C. Living in a sewer D. Writing abracadabra in a triangle, then wearing it around your neck for nine days or E. Drinking vinegar or having a bath in it The answer is... Eating five-year-old treacle. And that's just because they believed treacle had to be ten years old to be a cure. And they actually did all those other things. Of course, we now know that the plague was spread by rats. Fleas that lived on the rats would bite them and then spread the plague to humans by biting them. But that was all a very, very long time ago. Thank goodness medicine has come a long way since then. Now, I was interested about where this story came from, so I decided to visit Vernon Dean to see if I could find out. The lovely vicar there wasn't sure and pointed me in the direction of Jill Palmer, who has lived in Vernon Dean for many years and has lots of stories to tell about the curious happenings there. So, I went to meet her at the church for a little chat. So here I am in Vernon Dean Church and we've actually come inside today because it's raining but I have to say I've not been inside here before and it's well it's absolutely beautiful it's quite exciting there's lovely stained glass windows and I think we've got a few stories to tell about the church in a minute and that's because I'm here with Jill Palmer 
And I'm hoping Jill has got some wonderful stories that she's going to be able to tell us today about Vernon Dean and possibly about the ghost story as well. So, um, hello, Jill. Thank you so much for meeting me today. Good to see you. (laughs) Thank you. So, um, Jill, first of all, let's start. Have you ever seen the Vernon Dean ghost? I have never seen him. <laughs> I haven't even felt him, I'm afraid. Oh, really? You're not, but do you know anybody who has? Well, a friend of mine did say she thought she had, but she couldn't swear to it. No. So I think we'll leave him in the past. But apparently he's only seen in July. Oh, really? Yes, so unless you're walking up and down the hill in July, you've not got much chance of seeing him. <laughs> So where, where does the story come from? Oh, it goes back into the days of the plague. When uh, the plague came to the village, yeah. and of course the village was very frightened, uh, and people developed the plague and they thought, well, we've got to do something about it. So what they decided to do was for anyone who was infected with the plague, up to the top of the hill, yeah. where they'd be completely isolated, and the vicar, bless him, would bring up the food and water every day. They took a good selection with them, of course, but the poor old vicar didn't much like that idea and he was no. very, very frightened, I'm afraid. So do you think it's true, then, the story? Do you think the vicar, it really happened? I think it's probably got a basis of truth. Yeah. But it's a horrid thought that the vicar let them down in the end. Yeah. But so it's a hard thing to do, though. A actually, very hard thing to do. Because he was obviously very frightened. So you can see, in a way, I think it's a shame he didn't share it with somebody and say, look, actually, I'm a bit scared to do this. Will you maybe kind of help Or arrange <laughs> to put it in a place yep. when the villagers could collect and he could step away as we're doing during COVID. Exactly. That yes. would have been very, that would be much more sensible. But this story is obviously. Um, been told over the years and been passed down through yes. generations. So has there been any sightings that you know of on the hill or, you know, in the past? There was a lovely story about a carter who was struggling to push his goods up the hill. Yeah. And all of a sudden he felt it a bit easier. Oh. And he looked round, you know how you do, and he thought he saw somebody giving him a hand. Anyway, they carried on up to the top of the hill and the carter turned round to say thank you very much and there was no one there. So I think the vicar is trying to gain forgiveness, perhaps, by being doing good deeds elsewhere. Yeah, so he's a, a friendly ghost, isn't he? Oh, he's a friendly so. ghost. He's no problem whatsoever. I mean, you must be sorry for him, yeah, really, yeah. that he can't uh, pass on. So you've lived here for, for a long time now, haven't you? And... Do you feel that the Vernon Dean itself has got an air of mystery or magic about it? Are there other stories like this that (laughs) that people tell? Well, there is the story, of course, about the secret passage. (gasps) Yes. Secret, but we love secret passages. I thought you might. Well, the Manor House is uh, not far away from here. And as you know, Manor House and church used to be associated. Yeah. Before it was a Manor House, in the dimmer distant past, the monks had it. And in times of persecution, of course, they have to take great precautions. So we have been told that there is a secret passage from the manor house into the chantry area of the church, (gasps) and that's the oldest bit. Wow. Well, a friend of mine who is dead now, but he said when he was a very little boy, he was shown the entrance 
in the manor house, but no one has ever found the entrance into the church. Oh my goodness, that's amazing. I'd love to find it, wouldn't you? I'd love to. I love secret passages. Oh, it sounds great. I think it would be a little bit muddy and a bit small now. Yeah, maybe a bit, um, I don't know, cobwebby as well. A few More spiders, than a bit. possibly. Rats. Oh, don't say rats! Oh. <laughs> so, well, Vernon Dean, okay, it has got lots and lots of stories. Yes. But. It's also a really, really popular place for people to come and visit. I've seen, whenever I come here, there always seems to be lots of walkers and things. Um, Are there lots of places for people to to walk around here? Well, it's also for cyclists. Okay. Oh, wow. We've got loads and loads of tracks, which means you can walk in any direction for miles and miles and miles and see all sorts of fascinating things, from flowers to prehistoric sites. Yes, because we're on the border, aren't we, of um, um, Hampshire and Wiltshire? We are indeed. And we have the Roman Causeway, which passed along at the top of Connaught Hill. Right. right over. It had to bypass Hippenscombe because it couldn't go down the valley and up again. You know, the Romans like straight roads. They do like a straight this road. This is the only bend in the road for many, many, many miles. It must, they must have been very cross that they couldn't go straight. <laughs> so, in the woods around here, I have been here in the springtime. Oh, gosh. And I've discovered a bluebell wood, which is just on the outskirts of um, Burnham Dean. And I hadn't been there before, but it was lovely. It is absolutely superb. It's just acres and acres of gorgeous blue. And not what's more, later on, of course, you get the orchids. Oh, are they in the same place or just well, similar, about? Not similar. far away. Yes, up on the hill. I've always seen them. It's a, very, it's a really good place for flowers of all sorts and birds. And we've got loads of deer. We've got muntjac as well as the other deer. And goodness knows what else. So oh, pheasants, of course. Oh, pheasants. So no wonder <laughs> people love to come here. Yes. So what's your favourite walk? Now we'll go up through the Boobwell Wood, up to the top, yeah. and right to the top of Connell Hill, and then turn round, and I will go through a perfect cowslip field. <gasps> Ever more flowers for you, you see. Yeah, lots of and flowers. And then back through the woods. And that takes about an hour. Perfect. And that is just a perfect walk. Yeah. Well, that's probably all we've got time for today, but Jill, it's been absolutely wonderful to meet you um, and thank you so much for, for sharing your stories. And, well, I think when we turn this off, we should go and have a little look to see if we can find that tunnel. <laughs> what do you think? Let's have a go. OK, we'll have a go. OK, thanks. Well, that's it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed the tale and the facts behind it as much as I enjoyed discovering them and writing the story. Thank you for listening. Test Valley Tales is an Arts Council funded project and part of Test Valley Arts Foundation Borough of Culture Legacy Projects. You can find all sorts of project resources on my website at www.merry-go-roundstorytelling.co.uk forward slash Test Valley Tales. There is a downloadable map with postcodes to find all the story locations, links to walks and craft activities. You can also buy the Tess Valley Tales illustrated book of short stories there. Tess Valley Tales is on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter as at Tess Valley Tales. And this podcast can be found on Podbean at podbean.com forward slash Tess Valley Tales. If you are interested in finding out about other types of storytelling I get up to, or you would like to book me for an event, you can email me at mgrstorytelling at gmail.com I am on Facebook, 
Instagram and Twitter as at MGR Storytelling and Merry Go Round Storytelling on YouTube. I also have another storytelling podcast which can be found at podbean.com forward slash funny tales and fairy tales. And all this information can be found on my website, which is www.merry-go-round-storytelling.co.uk. Happy storytelling, and I look forward to telling you another tale soon.